Our Father and our God, as we come to this place in which we consider your word to your people, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive it. Let us not be like those who, in the face of the very incarnation of the Son of God, refuse to believe, but instead transform our hearts and minds so that we would respond in faith and obedience to the word proclaimed so that Jesus would live in our hearts by faith and that we, in fact, would find ourselves indwelt by the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have to uh, admit to you that the bassoon has its limitations. Now, I played the bassoon. How many of anybody in here play the bassoon? I've maybe known one or two other residents who played the bassoon since I've been here. I, I played the bassoon, loved playing it, played it all through junior high, high school, all the way through college. I, I enjoyed it very much. But it has its limitations. Uh, it's a concert band instrument or a concert, concert orchestra instrument. So there are certain things that you really can't do with a bassoon. You can't, for instance, play in the marching band with a bassoon. Uh, but, and you also really can't play jazz with a bassoon, at least not very easily. Uh, the bassoon is not a jazz instrument. Now, I, I tried to play jazz uh, one time with my bassoon. Uh, when I was in uh, high school, I liked to listen to Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. How many of you remember Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass? And I enjoyed that, and a bunch of high school band members, my brother included, also liked to listen to the Tijuana Brass, and so they formed a group. Uh, they, brought, uh, they bought Tijuana Brass arrangements, and they played Tijuana Brass music. And I wanted to play too, but I had a bassoon. And there was no bassoon in Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass. But our band director, who was quite creative, suggested that I could play the trombone parts. The bassoon, you see, plays in the same clef as the trombone, and it's, it's pitched in the same key as the trombone. So, so they let me play in that group using the trombone parts. But of course, there is no way to make a bassoon sound even remotely like a trombone. So the experiment with the jazz bassoon was short-lived. But over the years, I did learn some things about jazz, even though I never really played jazz music. I learned, for instance, that a lot of jazz music is based on improvisation and collaboration. Uh, the way it often works is that the composer, if, if there is a composer, develops a theme uh, for the music, a melodic line, and, and that theme, that melodic figure gets the group started, but then one of the performers would take that melodic line, that theme, and improvise on it. Uh, he or she would uh, use their instrument, develop the theme, embellish the theme, uh, give the theme their own take on it, their own uh, interpretation. They would infuse their personality into it, and they would play for two or three uh, minutes 
on that theme while the rest of the band uh, essentially accompanies and supports uh, that soloist. And then, in, and then after that, another musician on a different instrument would, would take up the theme and play for another two or three minutes and develop the theme with his or her own interpretation and personality and unique instrument. And occasionally, there might even be a duet or two, but the piece would go on for an extended period of time with each musician taking a turn and developing the theme. And each performance then would be a little different from the last one as improvisation and collaboration uh, produces a, a unique musical experience. But all the while, the theme keeps coming back. The theme is never lost. It's always reinforced and developed. And a lot of jazz is, is like that. Well, the music of the incarnation as it unfolds in the Gospel of Luke is also a lot like that. The theme is the coming of the Messiah, the incarnation of the Son of God. It is introduced quite early in the gospel, and, but then different voices, different musicians, if you will, take over the theme and develop it. Each, each one has his or her own unique personality and, and role to play in this composition, and they each play their part for a while before the theme is then passed off uh, to the next voice. It all starts in the Gospel of Luke with a duet, uh, with an angel of the Lord and a priest picking up the theme. The priest's name is Zacharias, and the angel is Gabriel. The angel comes to Zacharias while he is performing his priestly duties. He, he tells Zacharias that his wife Elizabeth, who is well on in years, will become pregnant and will give birth to a son, and that the son's name would be John. Zacharias, for his part, doesn't uh, quite believe it, and he questions the angel. Now, just, a, just a note of encouragement, don't question an angel, okay? <laughs> the angel then consigns Zacharias to silence for the duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy. He, he's unable to speak, and he's possibly unable even to hear because later in the story, other people have to communicate with him by signs. Some people have the misunderstanding, by the way, about, about jazz, that it really doesn't matter what notes you play, that kind of anything goes. Well, nothing could be further from the truth, that even in jazz you have to play notes that make sense and actually develop the theme. There, there are wrong notes in jazz, and Zacharias has played them. He has played the wrong notes, and so Zacharias is told by Gabriel to, to shut it down for a while, that he should take off this part of the musical composition as it unfolds and let somebody else take the theme and develop it. And so the next voice to pick up the theme is Mary. Mary is a young teenager. She's a, a cousin of Elizabeth. And again, another duet ensues, this time between the angel Gabriel and Mary. And, and Gabriel tells Mary that even as a virgin, uh, she will also be with child, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow her, and her child would be, then be called the Son of God. And Gabriel tells Mary about Elizabeth, about her pregnancy and her old age. And then another duet then takes place. This time, Mary travels all the way from Nazareth to Jerusalem to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and, and they compare notes about their encounter with Gabriel. In fact, the infants in their own wombs pick up the theme as well. And so a veritable orchestra improvises on the theme. Mary, Elizabeth, and, 
and the baby in Elizabeth's womb participate in an ensemble. And then Mary takes the theme herself. And this time she's a soloist, and she sings the Magnificat, which we explored last week, a wonderful hymn of praise in which she exalts the Lord and rejoices in God her Savior. But then the composition continues to unfold, and this time Zecharias gets to pick up his instrument again and play. Now, remember, he's been sitting out for a time now. He's been silent all through Elizabeth's pregnancy. But Zecharias then is able to develop the theme. It's the same theme, by the way, the coming of the Messiah, the incarnation of the Son of God. But, of course, he has his own development of it. He has his own take on it. It's infused with his own personality and, and based on his own experience. Now, now sometimes in, in jazz there are dissonant chords. You know what dissonance means. They don't seem to quite go together. One of the things that makes jazz jazz is dissonance. Uh, jazz has developed, by the way, out of, out of human experience. And a lot of jazz has developed out of African-American human experience. And, and human experience in general is often, often messy. Life is, is messy in a broken world like ours. And so in, in compositions like that, we often find dissonant music working its way through until there is a, a musical resolution. And, and that's kind of what happens here in Zacharias's song. We're picking up the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. Well, well there's no dissonance here. Verse 59, and it happened that on the eighth day they came to, to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. They were going to call him Zechariah. Who's they? Well, they are the extended family and, and friends. They, they seem to have sort of taken over the celebration, and they have decided what the baby's name would be. And then when the family gets involved in stuff like this, there is often dissonance. Is there not? How many of you can relate to that? Uh, verse 60, but his mother answered and said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. Well, here's the dissonance. Dear Elizabeth tries to set the record straight, but she gets pushed back from friends and family. Has that ever happened to you? They don't approve of the name Elizabeth has selected. Verse 62, and they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And, and he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And so now this time, they were silent. Verse 64, and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise to God. And so now comes the resolution of the dissonant chords. Zechariah enters the composition. He picks up the theme, and his praise of God changes the mood, the atmosphere of the composition, and advances the theme. Fear, verse 65, came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. It turns out that this 
musical composition will be one that will be remembered throughout the lives of that little community. And in fact, it will be remembered by all of those who are touched by the incarnation. For as a matter of fact, you all know about it too, don't you? And so Zechariah picks up the melody, and he embellishes the theme, and he puts his own personality into it. He offers his own praise of the God who is orchestrating this divine composition, and we call it the Benedictus, because the first word in Zechariah's musical expression is blessed. In the Greek word, it's eulogetos, which is a good word, literally. And the Latin translation of eulogetos is benedictus. Bene is the prefix for good. Dictus means speech or word. It's the word from which we get our word diction. And so a benediction, benedictus, a good word about God, a good word for God who has composed such a miraculous work in the lives of these two women. There are two parts to Zechariah's song. The first is a melody about the Redeemer that is followed by a melody about Zechariah's son, John, the prophet. Uh, there is then the Redeemer melody, and then there is the prophet's melody. Uh, there is a primary theme in the music of the incarnation, that is the coming of Messiah, the incarnation of the Son of God in the flesh. And then there is a secondary theme, the prophet's voice, who will prepare the way for the coming of Messiah. The order is significant, and it's important, and Zechariah has it quite right. In spite of his fatherly pride in the role that his own son, John, would take, Zechariah knows that John is not what this musical composition is primarily about, and that John is a secondary actor, a supporting actor in this drama. And so Zechariah begins his part, his song, praising God for the Redeemer, the Messiah. And the first thing that he mentions is the horn of salvation. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. The horn of salvation amplifies a common Old Testament figure of speech. A horn is a symbol of an animal's power and strength. It's the part of the anatomy by which certain animals intimidate lesser rivals. It's the part that causes those animals to have their way and accomplish their purposes. And so, dear friends, you need to understand, firstly, that the coming of Christ, the Redeemer, is an exhibition of the power of God at work. And anyone standing in the way of Messiah ought to be shaking in their boots. Then he mentions deliverance from enemies. Speaking of anyone standing in the way, verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. You know, the music of the incarnation continues to develop its theme, and, and one after another reveals a new dimension of the melodic line. The strength and power of God is one. The deliverance from our enemies is another. But you know, sometimes the audience has a hard time understanding what the performers are driving at in the performances. And this is one where I'm not even sure Zechariah <clears throat> understood the full implications 
of what by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit God intends to convey. For Zechariah and the Jews, their enemies were understood as the, the Romans, the occupying power who kept the Jewish people under their oppressive thumb. But as the gospel composition in Luke and in the whole of the New Testament continues to unfold, we learn something else entirely. Our enemies are, are not so much the Romans, but the forces of evil which afflict the entirety of our world. We speak of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the anti-God system in which human agency and institutions conspire together to try and establish order and well-being without God in the picture and as an enterprise that eventually produces the opposite. It produces chaos and destruction. That's the world. Then there's the flesh. That's the sinful nature of humanity, which, by the way, resides in each one of us. And it functions to generate selfish desires and actions, which again end up in self-destructive patterns of behavior and conduct. And then there is the devil, who is the superintendent of the evil spiritual realm, which loves to use the world and the flesh to discourage and to destroy, if he could, the people of God. Our, our contest, as the Bible tells us, is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. But the coming of Messiah, the incarnation of the Son of God, is a melody that dispels our enemies in which the glories of the music of the incarnation dispel the darkness of the world. And then Zechariah comes to understand covenant mercy of God. Verse 72, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. The music of the incarnation, while new, has continuity with the promises of God all the way back to Abraham. And the beautiful melody of his covenant mercy toward the objects of God's love, the people who belong to him by faith, the true children of Abraham, are on display in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And finally, he speaks of holy service. Verse 74, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him, all our days. You know, the music of the incarnation expands beyond the original players. We too then, you see, pick up the theme and play the Redeemer's melody by serving him in love and without fear, and by doing so in holiness and righteousness, we become players in the orchestra as well. That's part, that's our part of the composition, our piece in the music of the incarnation. In addition, of course, to the sacrifices of praise, we render to our glorious composer. And then Zacharias shifts to blessing God for the, for the special role his son John will play in the music of the incarnation. It's a secondary theme, a subservient theme to the Redeemer's melody, but it's an important one nonetheless. Uh, verse 76, he speaks of the preparation of the ways of Messiah, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. You know, preparation is always an, an important aspect in the conduct of a musical composition. Ask the choir. You guys prepared for tonight, have you? 
Yeah, I bet you have. But even in jazz, there is much preparation. And John will come preparing the way for the Messiah. He will herald his coming. He will capture the attention of the people of God, whose repentance will set the stage for Messiah's fruitfulness. His life of devotion will model how we all, in reverence and holiness, prepare ourselves for our own personal encounters with Christ. Uh, then he speaks of the knowledge of salvation, verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. The prophet's melody will provide a prelude, a, a musical introduction to the grand theme of the incarnation, salvation in no one else other than in Jesus Christ, whose life, death, and resurrection will provide the foundation of the forgiveness of our sins. So the prophet's melody intertwines with the Redeemer's life and work with the grand melody of redemption. And finally, there is darkness dispelled because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What glorious resolution uh, to the dissonant realities of our dark world. What a wonderful postlude to this composition to see how John's message is like the sunrise after a long, dark night, and how the Redeemer's melody shines in our dark world, dispelling the wickedness and evil and destruction and chaos of a world system bent on selfish ambition, shining in the deepest recesses of our hearts revealing our own areas of darkness. And so again, the prophet's melody intertwines with the Redeemer's melody, creating a beautiful duet, a rich harmony, a delightful counterpoint, creating a composition which displays the power and glory of the incarnation, where God with us, Emmanuel, fills our hearts with such love and adoration that we along with Mary and Zacharias, cannot help but sing the glories of the Incarnation. So what is your response to Zechariah's song? Are you like the early Zechariah, the skeptical Zechariah, maybe even the unbelieving Zechariah? Are you more like the later Zechariah who's learned his lesson and is responsive to the angel's message and to the whole message of the incarnation of the Son of God? Or are you more like Mary who immediately responds in faith and obedience to the message of the angel? That is what the message of the incarnation is all about. God is come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, and you cannot be the same. You must respond one way or the other. Heavenly Father, we come before you because of who you are in recognition of what you have done on behalf of your people to call a people to yourself, to give us, in fact, the forgiveness of sins in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And we pray that you would grant us the faith to believe it, even in these moments, so that our testimony might be a testimony of praise and honor and glory unto Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.